Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Table Talk, discussions of church, theology, and culture. My name is Luke Burrow. I'm the Family and Ministry Coordinator here at CBC Elderton. With me, as always, is our lead pastor, Andrew Hall. You join us this week for the second part in a little two-part series that we are doing on identity and on Christian identity. Last week, we spent some time uh, thinking about the, the concept of what identity is and how people are generally trying to define and understand their identity in our world today. But we want to spend this week talking in a little more depth. Uh, we, we kind of touched on this at the end of last episode about how our identities are redefined as God's people. We've got some thoughts about that that we want to talk about. And so, Andrew, well, or as we jump in here, why don't you frame up this discussion for us, what, what you're thinking and maybe a little bit of where we're going to be going. For sure. Everybody has a story to their lives. And um, the story that we have of our lives actually shapes our identity. We don't realize it, but where I grew up, the, the family that I was born into, uh, the community that's around me, uh, the values that those people embrace, they all start to form this bigger story. Yeah. And so as I have this story, it, it shapes me for the rest of my life. And then there are the the good, the bad, the ugly that happen to us. So mm-hmm. one of the things then that happens is that um, we we all have moments in our lives uh, that are are joyful, and we we look back on them when they're full full of happiness. But for some people, there are some very traumatic moments, yeah. uh, very trying moments, uh, and and that can be an accident, it can be abuse, it can be all sorts of things, and as a result of that. Those things profoundly shape the story of our lives, too, in terms of how we look at people, how we trust people, and uh, how we interpret the world around us. Do I I have a personality that wants to risk, or am I more risk-averse? And so, we have all sorts of things that shape us, Mm -hmm. and they shape our identity, and they they actually get into some of the core bits of— um, well, we can talk about nurturing versus uh, nature versus nurture, but yeah. but there are aspects. It's it's not just that I've received a DNA from my parents, but there's also things that have happened to me yeah. that have shaped the story of my life. Yeah, it's I up until right now I hadn't thought to put those categories together, but as we understand this pretty well-known concept of nature versus nurture, the the things that shape you that are sort of part of your DNA and the things that are a part of your upbringing, really, you could understand the nurture side of that as as being a story, as being a narrative, as being the the entirety of who you are and what you've experienced up, up to that point really can be understood as as a narrative with a beginning and a middle and I guess eventually an, an end, but at least certainly reaching up to the, the present day. And I think that's a good way of thinking about it. I think that kind of helps us frame up the, the ways then that we have a new identity given to us as, as God's people. Yeah. When um, one of my friends uh, told me a story in college, uh, it, it took me back because he was describing how he found out that he had a brother uh, and that brother had been given up for adoption. Hmm. And uh, when they met, they looked alike. They had similar uh, a similar part uh, to their hair, same mustache, yeah. different color of hmm. hair. But he knew his brother right away by the gait of his walk. Huh. And 
it was just this uncanny resemblance to himself and to his um, to his mother. And as a result of that, uh, he was like, "Wow, like we we've never met." So there's an aspect of nature there. Yes, for sure. But but certainly, um, nature does not. Uh, we are not constricted uh, by by the fact that I want to be careful here, but but um, grace does not destroy nature. Grace redeems it, mm-hmm. and so I don't want I don't want to give the sense that um, uh, we can we can overcome nature because that that's the modern idea that that we can just overcome um, we can overcome nature and and what mm-hmm. what has been defined by by nature, but there is a sense in which um, we we are not we are not just people who have been. Uh, born into a certain family with a certain nature, uh, there's there's the possibility that we can forge a new identity, and and the way that that happens is that there's a new story that yeah. starts to surround our lives. Um, so again, I, I go back to the example of adoption. My friend who uh, mm-hmm. in college uh, who met his biological brother, and um, and by all accounts. They had lived very different lives, um, but that was because while they had similarities in terms of their appearance and their gait, uh, they they also had some fairly significant differences because yeah. of how they had been raised, and so that had really caused a, a different trajectory yeah. in their lives. So, so for us, then understanding that that we can we can start to move in different directions because of the nurturing that happens to us becomes very important we can be shaped by a different bigger story and we call that a meta narrative uh just meta being an overarching a narrative being that mm-hmm. story we can be shaped by a new story which gives us a new a new hope for the future and that that's really important so I think especially recently I've noticed that there's been more discussion in books and in articles and blogs and things like that about the importance of story and the importance of narrative and how we we as human beings are wired as as being in the image of God as people who are really wired to think in stories and yeah. in narrative and it's very important then that as the Lord has given us his word, that word is, is a narrative. It's a story from Genesis to Revelation. It's, it's a new narrative, yes. really, that can take the, the place of the narrative of, of our lives as we've experienced it and can help us then form a, a new identity. And that's what we want to spend some time uh, here for the rest of our episode talking about is we, we actually see examples of this in Scripture. We see examples of, of people who have one particular story, one understanding of themselves and of their lives, and then God gives them a, a new identity through giving them a new story. And there, there, while there are plenty of examples, I think we've we've both sort of identified uh, the Exodus, Israel being rescued out of Egypt, as being a really crucial and important one. Maybe maybe the most crucial and important in the whole yes. Old Testament for sure. And a, a huge, huge part of where the rest of the Bible flows out of. And so let, let's take a little bit of time to, to talk about that. What are your, your initial thoughts about that, Andrew? So the Exodus is, I would say, the driving uh, storyline uh, for understanding redemption yeah. in the Bible. It's crucial. Uh, after, 
after you get past uh, ex- uh, Exodus, uh, the the primary metaphor that people go back to over and over is the Exodus. Yeah. Isaiah looks forward to a new Exodus. Um, Mark portrays the new Exodus having come in Jesus. Uh, there's Exodus language. Jesus is a a, Mos- a type of Moses. Uh, he is he is the true and greater Moses. Mm-hmm. Um, but we need to understand what happened before. Um, what happened before Israel uh, experienced the Exodus? So we all know God had chosen Israel. Uh, to be his chosen people. He had given Abraham a promise. You'll be the father of a great nation, more numerous than the sand and the seashore and the stars in the sky. Uh, but your people are going to go into uh, in, into Egypt and become slaves. Yeah. And sure enough, a couple generations later, uh, his great-grandchildren are slaves. Mm-hmm. Um, his his son Joseph becomes the, the prince of Egypt, second in command, but over time they are enslaved. And there's a pharaoh who rises up who doesn't remember uh, Joseph, this uh, great-grandson of Abraham. And as a result, he, he sees how the Hebrew people are flourishing. They enslave the Hebrew people. And they even begin a process of seeking gen- to, to commit genocide, yeah. having the infant boys uh, killed. And, um, and here is this boy, Moses, who is, who is rescued in a little ark. And so he's, he's given this identity as like a new Noah mm-hmm. coming through the waters of judgment. And he's, he's rescued and he's brought and he goes into the wilderness and he comes out of the wilderness to, to lead the people. And as he leads the people out, it's through the, the Red Sea. Um, but, but the people struggle and they come to um, Mount Sinai, the mountain of the Lord. This is where Moses has received a revelation from God uh, that uh, that's where the burning bush was. And, and Moses had been told that the Lord was sending him back to Pharaoh. And so now he's going to return back to this, this place, this mountain. And so he brings a ragtag group of people who've been slaves, uh, 600,000 men plus women and children. And, and they have lived their entire lives, probably for a couple of generations, as slaves. Yeah. And so their whole identity, the story of their lives, the story of them as a people group has been forged around the identity of we're slaves. We don't have value. Our value is in our work. We are, we are subjugated to Pharaoh. And so what does God do? He, he speaks to Israel in chapter uh, Exodus chapter 19, verses five and six. And he talks about how he brought them out as though they were on uh, wings of an eagle and he carried them and he is going to make them a kingdom of priests and a treasured possession, but his treasured possession in the whole earth. How does he do that? He brings them to Sinai and there at Sinai in the opening words of Exodus 20, before you even get to the 10 commandments, you actually get a word of grace. I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage and out of slavery. So what we hear actually are these words of covenant that come and it's actually a story of redemption. God says, you were slaves, but I rescued you. I redeemed you. I brought you out on wings like an eagle. Uh, You're my treasured possession. 
That's your, that's your new identity. But now in light of that, we've got to deal with this old identity that you've got. You've yeah. got this history as a bunch of slaves and, and you have been used to the ways that the Egyptians are. So I'm going to give you 10 laws, 10 commandments. Yeah. And these commandments are to forge in you a new identity based on this is who I am as the Lord, your God. Yeah. And I want you to reflect who I am as God because your identity is rooted in me. Your identity comes from me. So you start to see how, how their story as slaves is being recast as a treasured possession, as a redeemed people, as a covenant people, and how they're then, it's not just like we leave the past behind and we'll totally forget about ever being slaves and now we're free. There's all these little things that come back over yeah. and over and over. And so as a result of that, God is tr seeking to forge a new identity. This story, the Exodus story, becomes paramount in terms of understanding the flow of God's redemption throughout the rest of the Bible. He begins with grace and he reframes us with his commandments. Yeah, this is the first time we really see that play out in its fullness in the Bible, but it's certainly not the last time. The Exodus in so many ways served as sort of a, a precursor to the ultimate story of redemption and what God would continue to do throughout the Old Testament and into the new, especially especially with Christ. That all, as you were listening to this listener, you've probably had the thought that, oh, that sounds pretty familiar. What the Lord did with Israel is not dissimilar to what the Lord has done with us as well. And so that brings us then into the New Testament, where we see oh, these things are certainly still at play. And both in in the the gospels in the life story of Jesus but also afterwards as as the apostles look back on Jesus's life in their their letters there's lots of this discussion as well and i th i think you had uh, something in mind from the book of galatians if i'm not mistaken that, yeah. that leads us right into this point yeah so let's start with the apostle paul he comes as a jew and he has been zealous for the cause of Judaism. Yeah. He thinks that he's upholding the covenant of God. He's trying to eliminate the threat by killing off Christians. He has this encounter with Jesus on the Damascus Road in Acts chapter 10. Uh, Acts, Acts 9, Acts 10. My, my brain is foggy here right now. He, um, he sees Christ and he'll describe himself in 1 Corinthians 15. I think it's verse verses 9 through 11, he says that he was as one untimely born. Mm -hmm. So he picks up this image of Israel that, that God found Israel on the road as, as a, a child that was just abandoned. Ezekiel 16, yeah. uh, the opening verses of Ezekiel 16 tell us this story. And, and as a result of being found, God takes Israel and turns her into his beautiful bride. Yeah. Um, and so then this picture of adoption, um, Paul sees this picture of being adopted into God's family as a critically important idea. It, it becomes a driving picture. Uh, family is the driving picture for Paul in terms of what the church is. Mm -hmm. But adoption actually is this way of identifying how Gentiles, 
come part, become part of the covenant people of God. So you don't have to have been born in, you're not born as a, a child of God. You become one by, by adoption. You're yeah. chosen. You're, you're brought in. He'll use this language in Ephesians 1 that um, he's, he's predestined you for adoption as sons to the praise of the, of the glory of his grace. And the book of Galatians is this idea of God takes people who look nothing like his people and they're adopted. You can think of the story of Ruth, that Ruth Ruth says to Naomi, um, here's this Moabite woman. She says, your God will be my God. Your people will be my people. And and that's that's what adoption is. It's, yeah, it's a bold statement. It's, it is. It's a bold statement. Um, so I have a sibling who's adopted. And my sibling was adopted at uh, about the age of, of two and a half and brought into the home and born to a different family, born and with a different social structure, different environment, all sorts of challenges. Now, my sibling doesn't forget the past that they had, mm-hmm. uh, but by being adopted into our home, there was this new structure. There was new rules. There was... Uh, there was a house full of kids because there were four older siblings. Uh, there's all sorts of dynamics that went on. And so all of a sudden here, my sibling adopts a, a, not just our last name, but but also adopts the values of our home, the, the, the culture of our home, the people that are our friends, the church environment. And as a result, that shapes my sibling's life for the rest for the rest of their life. It sets them on a different trajectory. And that's very much what the gospel does. When Jesus loves us and he he comes to rescue us, he is rescuing us out of sin and bondage, just as Israel was in sin and bondage as slaves Mm -hmm. in Egypt. And he brings us by his death and resurrection into a new family, gives us a new name. He even gives us uh, a new family order. That's what we might call the law. The law is just a new family order order in terms yeah. of how how we're going to function as family so that we might live to the praise of his glory and his grace. And so just as God brought the people of Israel out of slavery and into a new covenant relationship with him, and as he continued to build up that people until the time of Christ, and now the, the Gentiles, which is most of us here listening to this, we are brought in by adoption into that same family. We adopt that same story. And that really forges in us a, a new identity mm-hmm. where our, our story now becomes of one of God as our father, of our former life in slavery, condemnation under the law, and through the gospel, our, our adoption as children and our forgiveness and the, the, the imputation of righteousness in, right. in Christ. This is our new identity as God's people and very different from what we spoke about last week. And this is, this is how we find our identities in, in God's word and in what God has been doing ever since the, the very beginning, because the, the whole Bible from start to finish is the story of, of God doing this and the end of eternity or the, the end of life in this world and into eternity will be the, the playing out of, of this exact story that we all as God's people find ourselves in. We're going to spend the rest of our lives, though, fighting against the the, the former story mm-hmm. that we had, and that's, so that's right. so um, we're 
just as just as my sibling was declared by a judge to have the same last name as me, um, that didn't erase the fact that they had a former history and yeah. former story. And so in the same way, um, while the gospel declares us by faith, we are declared righteous, we are declared justified, we are children of God, we still have the struggle of the flesh that we have an old story that we live uh, we're fighting not to live by. Mm-hmm. We're living by the Spirit who has given us a new way to live. And so we shouldn't expect that just everything gets erased no. and and our past disappears. But rather, we we ought to expect that we're we're forging a new path because we've been declared righteous. We've been given a new name. We're part of a new family. We're we've got a new identity, and we move forward. Absolutely. And so, as is our custom, we want to end off our time thinking about some recommended resources. So, Andrew, why don't you go ahead and start? Uh, in light of this conversation that we've had, if there's anybody that would like to do some further reading, thinking about these things, what uh, what have you got for our listeners this week? Uh, the Gospel Coalition has a compilation of uh, essays. Uh, it's put together by Melissa Kruger. It's called Identity Theft. And uh, it's just simply looking who you are, your identity in Christ. Uh, that's a good one. Um, for those who want to maybe dive a little bit deeper, this isn't super deep. Uh, it's 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 deeper, but it's not it's not difficult. Um, it's called Union with Christ: The Way to Know and Enjoy God by Rankin Wilborn, and uh, in it it talks about. Uh, where what is basically what is union with Christ? Why do we need it? Where did it come from? Where did it go? What problems does it solve? And how do we live with Christ day by day? It's looking at who am I? Where am I headed? What am I here for? And what can I hope for? And then on my end, we, we've spent a little bit of time uh, talking specifically about the theological categories of, of law and gospel and how those are so crucial to defining our identity and a book that I've stumbled across that I think would be very helpful for people wanting to think more about those things specifically is a book called Law and Gospel, A Theology for Sinners and Saints. It's by David Zoll and Ethan Richardson. So with that, we are now wrapped up with this little two-part series we're doing on Christian identity. Uh, Next week, we'll be back with maybe a slightly lighter topic, um, one that's... uh, more, more maybe pop culture related uh, a, a little bit than what we would normally do, but one that we're looking forward to. Until then, I hope you all have a wonderful rest of your week and we will see you then. God bless. Bye, everybody. Bye.